It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. It's a point for the new prince at Crystal Palace. Oliver Glasner watching on from the stands as the Eagles swooped for a share of the spoils in the Premier League last night. But for Everton, are they being dished up a bland brand of football? Relegation threatened and is Deitchball starting to grate on the Goodison gang? We'll talk about that on today's show. We'll also discuss Nottingham Forest's latest signing. It's not a player, it's definitely not a new manager, it's a referee. Well, a former one, as ex-top flight official Mark Clattenburg has joined Forest in an advisory role. My name's Niall and this is the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. Thanks for joining us and joining me, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. Good morning. Morning. Referees, what are they up to these days? I mean, come on. <laughs> What's going on with that? Got their own personal brands now, haven't they? God. Surprised if they've not got their own TV shows coming up soon. I'd, I'd be amazed if this year one of them didn't go in I'm a Celebrity. Do you know what? That's a great shout. Mark Martin Clattenburg for I'm a Celebrity, 100%. No, Mike Dean. It'll be Mike Dean. Oh, Mike Dean. Yeah, I forgot about him. He'll bring out a range of whistles in Sports Direct <laughs> or something. Elevate your refereeing game. <laughs> you can just see like Mike Dean pencil cases on the till at Sports Direct <laughs> with his face on, <laughs> loving it. Uh, I, know what I'm get- I know what you're getting for Christmas. No chance. No chance. Secret Santa we'll all- only. We'll all do Secret Santa and we'll just buy each other a Mike Dean bobblehead or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he has got reality TV written all over him, hasn't he? And talking of something being written all over... We just knew that Everton versus Palace was going to be a pretty drab affair last night. Monday night football in the Premier League dished up a 1-1 draw at Goodison Park. Crystal Palace, of course, announced yesterday that Roy Hodgson had stood down from his role as manager of the club. The 76-year-old, of course, 
was involved in a medical incident at the training ground a few days prior, so understandable that he's decided to give up his role as manager. He said in a quite dignified statement, actually, that it was the right time to stand aside. But his replacement, Oliver Glasner, who we talked about the other day, he was in the stand, Joel, watching on. How do you think he would have assessed the performance of his new team? I'm thinking, Christ, I've got some work to do, haven't I? I mean... I mean, to be fair, up to the 80th minute, they were on course for three points there. It could have been a whole lot different if it wasn't wasn't for Onana's last-minute goal. But he has the players there to take them even further on. I think he's got the rare resources at his disposal, which is the fact that he's got two probably top, top quality players in his attack that can get him out of trouble. And they're easily both worth, what, an extra 10, 20 points a season, which is Elise and Eze. I thought you were on about think- Jordan Ayew and uh, Jean-Philippe Mateta. <laughs> I might have been to be fair <laughs> but to have those two players in your team it almost makes his job a hell of a lot easier it's just about utilising them a little bit more and probably creating a bit more of a feel good factor around Palace especially around the fan base as well but yeah looking at them compared to the teams below them honestly it just feels like they're the only team that have that kind of star quality to get them out of it everyone around them seems to be really struggling especially for goals but I feel like the Roy Hodgson situation is almost Roy Hodgson was going to be replaced and I think the new manager although he has a big task I don't think it's as big as what people make out because I do think he has the tools necessary to get them out of this quite poor situation they find themselves in. I do think with what Crystal Palace are trying to achieve now is probably the right time to make that change and Joel mentions that Roy Hodgson may well have been replaced anyway rather than stepping down is now a good time for them to have made a switch with the landscape of the Premier League and where they find themselves in the table? Uh, I, th- I think so. I think a change needed to be made um, at some point. I think Crystal Palace worry about relegation more than they should. I think they're they're more than good enough to be better than three teams or four, four or five teams down there. But does that not kind of encapsulate what we were talking about the other day when it comes to Crystal Palace and their ambition or lack thereof, that they're still worried about relegation 10 years on from being promoted rather than thinking we're fine, we're more worried about not finishing in the top half, which is what they should be worried about. They should be worried about not progressing, which is what has been the case for the last, well, at least five or six years. Yeah, 100%. They, the biggest challenge Glasner has got if he's there um you know for for a couple of years at least is changing the culture at crystal palace and changing their mentality of being a club that looks over their shoulders all the time to a club that looks into the distance and says where can we get can we finish in the top 10 can we finish 10th because that would be you know as as high as they've ever i think have they ever finished in the top half in the premier league i don't i don't think they have i think once they finished ninth and that might have been under alan pardew i want to say but I think ninth is their highest finish and then they've had a couple of 11ths, but most of the time it is between 12th and 15th. Yeah, and you think about the 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 points that separate, you know, ninth from 12th on a season-by-season basis. It's barely more than five points, is it? There's not, there never tends to be a huge, you know, um, chasm of, of points. It's not like, you know, ninth finishes on, on 48 and... 12 finishes on 35. It's not a huge amount of um, points, really. So you're talking you're talking six points a season to get from where they always finish, 13th, to into the top half. That's not 
that's not unachievable by any means. You've got, as we say, with you know, with Crystal Palace, they've got the players there to to build a a decent, exciting team. But they need to keep Eze and Elise fit. They need to have players chipping in up front because all the strikers don't score enough. Um, and they've got talent at the back. Mark Gay, he's a good player. Joachim Anderson's really good. I, I really like him. I think he's a really good player. Um, they've spent big on, um, is it Dukure in midfield? The, um, the uh, I can't remember where they got him from, but he's he, they've spent big on him. So they obviously think he's, uh, he's, he's a good enough player to take them on. So there's plenty there. It's just Glasner now needs to change the club from, oh, we might go down, oh, ooh, you know, we'll, we'll eke out a point here, um, to we can go and win. We can go and give any team a game, and we can play them off the pitch with the talent we've got. But it was summed up last night. Somebody said it in the in the Telegram group. They they got to the 90th minute of the game at Goodison Park, and they ran the ball to the corner at 1-1. That, that sums up Crystal Palace for me. Absolutely just didn't want to go and try and win the game, even though they'd led in the game up to six minutes from time when Onana got the equaliser. Why can't you go and score again? Do you have that little self-belief that you can't go and score another goal at Goodison Park, who are a team in the relegation zone? Yeah, because of the the points deduction and whatever, but still, they're not a good team. They're not a, they're not a team you go to and go, bloody hell, we're going to be lucky to beat Everton. You can't be doing that as Crystal Palace. You're, you finish higher than them most... Of the past, what, three or four seasons, they've finished above Everton. You have to be going to Goodison and saying, we can win there and we can turn that place, we can turn the atmosphere against them um, and and all that type of the cliches and stuff and, you know, get the crowd against them and make them nervy and stuff like that. But you can do that. But Crystal Palace should turn, turn up and they go, we'd be lucky to get a point. I use scores and they think, sit in, shut up shop now, lads. We'll We'll just, we'll try and grind this out. And I get, I get trying to grind it out away from home with 20 minutes to go. However, once they get the equaliser, they showed no intent of going and trying to win the game. And that's, that sums them up for, for the whole club. The culture is, is what needs to change, in my opinion. To give credit to Crystal Palace, I thought they looked better last night in the absence of Eze and Elise when we always say that they basically look a shell of a side without those two players, Joel. So that's some sort of positive for Oliver Glasner to work with. I think we mentioned it yesterday or a couple of days ago when discussing Glasner's potential arrival at Selhurst Park. He's obviously got an impressive CV, having guided Eintracht Frankfurt to the Champions League places in the Bundesliga and winning them the Europa League in 2022 by beating Rangers. But the way it ended for him at Frankfurt with questions over the amount of investment in the squad and falling out with the hierarchy, that maybe might ring a few alarm bells for some Crystal Palace fans. I know that's a very negative mindset because he's literally been in the building a day and a half. But if we're talking about a club in the Premier League who have struggled to invest in the right way in their squad when they've certainly got a base to do so, that would be Crystal Palace. Yeah, I mean, I feel for Glasner after Frankfurt won the Europa League because a few of his really main players in that squad ended up departing straight after it anyway. And I mean, how can you really replicate that with Frankfurt? Because you're in a, a league that has almost a monopoly in terms of the top clubs. And then everyone else is almost just feeding off the scrap. So he's overachieved. And it's strange to think that any other manager 
after a season like that is going to almost replicate it. Because for Frankfurt, I mean, in their, in their history, that's one of the top moments in their entire history as a football club. But I think when you look at the teams that he was linked with after that, I mean, he was linked with the Bayern Munich job the following summer, which, you know, isn't an easy thing to get your name around that kind of club. And I think for Palace, the fact that they have given him a two-year contract as well, I originally thought it was going to be just an interim basis and then potentially go on from there. But the fact it is a two-year contract now tells me that, you know, they have a bit of belief in him as well. They're not kind of worrying and being a little bit more proactive, which is what we've been criticising them for in the last couple of weeks of, are they just going to do another stopgap, another stopgap, and then find someone? So I think it is a decent attempt at ambition. But again, you look at the options available for them and it's it's bleak isn't it I mean any manager that's going into Palace now they're going to be wanting to speak with Parrish and asking him so what's the what's the summer going to be looking like then am I going to be without the two main players in the attack for next season and if they do go what are we what plan have we got ahead of me to replace them because that's pretty much what 50% of their output gone that's a hell of a lot of output to replace in a summer, especially when you're Crystal Palace and it's difficult to attract those types of players anyway. Um, I think they need to tap into their academy a lot more as well. They have clearly have a very good scouting system going on in London and obviously within their academy as well. That's something that is very almost specific to Crystal Palace and something that they need to tap into more, I think, to get out of it. It's one of those, isn't it? Like If Palace lose, absolute disaster you know alarm bells everywhere palace don't lose they get a point which i don't think roy hodgson wouldn't have been able to do for example and everything seems to be all right for now strange how it works it's almost um the same as last year when Vieira came in you know because when the the fixture list um leveled out didn't they and Vieira's um last few games were against like arsenal and chelsea and what have you and Hodge, hodgson came in and he who, who did he beat? Flipping Leicester. Leicester, who, who went, went down. down. Yeah. And then, you know, he you know he beat the bottom feeders, basically, which Vieira could have done. But like we say, that is Crystal Palace. They they panic almost too prematurely. That, but that's that's because they've been burnt in the past and they've always been, you know, they're probably the smallest London club in, in the Premier League, sort of regularly. Obviously, like Luton and stuff are smaller, but Brentford and whatever. But they've only been there a couple of years. You know what I mean? It's not... It's not like that, but as Joel said, you know, Glasner's coming in and it went tits up for him at Frankfurt when they started selling the best players. Luka Jovic went, Sebastian Haller went, Philip Kostic went. But you'd um, imagine they'd do that anyway, regardless of the fact that they've replaced Roy Hodgson. They will be selling Eze and Elise. I know Elise's just signed a new deal, but that just means they'll get more money for him. Exactly, but that's the thing. Like, if he's left after not being able to adapt without his best players, have you, you know, is the same going to happen again in the summer? Is he might have, you know, Crystal Palace playing really good football and winning games and maybe they finish 10th, but still 10th, 9th, 8th even. Eze and Elise still leave because elite club want, elite clubs want them players. Man City or Chelsea might come in for Elise. Um, anyone might come in for Eze. Any one of them, Man United might come in for Eze. Um, even Newcastle, for example, like the the trajectory of the club is going to attract Eze, who is, I think, 24, 24, 25. He's not, he's not young. So he needs, he kind of needs to move soon. So can Glasner, does he know what, what the situation is? Is he going to have to adapt without it? Cause he, he couldn't really do it at Frankfurt. Um, 
and this is why I was banging the drum for Steve Cooper because he he he's more of a coach. He'll coach who he's got, and he's not really bothered about signing players. And maybe that was to his detriment a bit in Nottingham Forest, but that's why I kind of expected them to go for him because if they are going to sell, he's going to be there and he'll coach whatever he's got. And with his youth record, he can bed the youth lads in as well. But instead, they've gone for Glasner. And if, if this repeats itself, we'll just be looking at it going, well, you could have seen that coming. Well, Crystal Palace do have a new manager. It is Oliver Glasner and they do have a first point since his appointment and it came last night at Goodison Park. Is it a better point for Palace than it is for Everton? Well, the Toffees are on 20 points and they are neck and neck on points the side currently occupying the last relegation space and that's Luton Town. We'll talk about Sean Dyche and his reaction to the game last night after this on Football Social Daily. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is FSD. Welcome back to the show, an award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall. I've got Joel and Marley alongside me and we tried our best to stay awake last night through Monday Night Football. A screaming goal from RU was pretty much the only spark of a game which was devoid of a lot of life and one place that isn't usually devoid of atmosphere is Goodison Park, but it did feel a little bit flat yesterday and listening to some of the thoughts of the Evertonians after the game, Marley, it feels to me that they are starting to get a little bit tired of Sean Dyche's style of play. It's another draw for Everton. I think that's four of their last five games that they've drawn now. They've drawn against teams like Aston Villa, for example, in that run, a side that they would probably be expected to lose to. They are obviously around the relegation places because of that 10-point deduction. We don't know whether they're going to get more taken off or some given back. But in terms of what we know right now, face value of the table as we see it, is that a good point for Everton? 
or a poor point for Everton? Should they be thinking about these games at Goodison Park against the likes of Palace and really saying we should be winning these? Yeah, you should definitely be targeting those games as, right, we'll beat them. Um, Deitch was quick to point out the the boost in Crystal Palace last night from having the manager watching. I feel like that's a very flaky excuse for a, a guy like Sean Deitch who would, you know, it gives this impression of being like, you know, gets a, a certain level out of his players all the time and, and what have you. Um, I think it's all gone a bit... They had that sort of siege mentality when they got minus 10 points and it was like, yeah, so we'll, we'll win anyway in the face of this and blah, blah, blah. I think they won three games in a row. Four. And all of a sudden, was it four in a row? So they were plus two after after four games. You know what I mean? If you take that um, take that sort of look at it. Um, since then, I think they barely won a game. I think they've won, is it two out of the last 14 games or something like that? It's a crazy um, record um, of just dropping off it was weird really because that first game after the points deduction in november they basically had the life sucked out of them at goodison in that first match because alejandro garnacho scores the goal of the season but then after that they went on a run to beat nottingham forest they beat newcastle they beat chelsea and they beat burnley all without conceding a single goal so defense wise they've been tight it's just scoring goals at the other end. They just can't seem to get anyone scoring goals. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think, scored once since October. Beto is someone who I'm still not sure about in terms of his quality and whether he's up to the task in the Premier League. And who else is offering goals? You can't keep relying on Onana and Decore, who's been injured, by the way, from central midfield to pop up and score you goals. Yeah, he's, um, that's, that's a big problem. Calvert-Lewin starts every week and he looks just no confidence at all. I think he's got... 19 games without a goal now. You can't do that as a striker in the Premier League. I'm sorry, I don't care how how rated you are or how good you once were and whether you once played for England and what have you because that's absolutely awful. And they spent money on Beto, who's looked somewhat effective at times. Um, against... He's not going to score you five or six a season even between now and the end of the campaign to kind of keep you up. Yeah, maybe not. Um, they signed that Chimiti as well. Um who sits on the bench every week. I don't know why they signed him, especially when money's really tight at Everton as well. Dan Juma doesn't seem to play too much. Uh, it tends to be McNeil, Harrison and Dekure who who might get you the goals. Um, and it's just, you know, that's not a a reliable option. They need someone to chip in because creating chances, they're, they're okay. They're not, they're not incredible, but I think they had an XG last night. If you, if you're into that thing of like four, um, like four clear chances to score goals and they only scored one and it was, you know, a defensive midfielder with a header. So it's um that's that's where they're they're um they're struggling and that's where they will struggle until until oh, I don't know, until they sign someone who can score goals, but the the money's tight and there's that situation again hanging over them. Um, it's looking like the only thing that will get them out of the relegation zone now is an independent panel coming in and saying that the minus 10 was too uh, was too harsh and it halves to five and they jump above Luton again because uh, they don't look like they're going to pick up points at a greater pace than Luton are at the minute in terms of the two clubs' momentum. You know, Luton are picking up, finding the feet and picking up points. Ross Barkley's pulling strings everywhere. Yeah, it's the old attack against defence, isn't it? Mm. It's... Luton seem to score in every game. Everton are pretty tight at the back. And it's a case of which is going to win you more games. 
well, obviously, it's scoring the goals because you can't, at the risk of sounding like Michael Owen, you can't win a game unless you score a goal. So, you know, it's all well and good being watertight at the back. And Sean Dyche has got that bit locked down, in all fairness to him. But it's the other end of the pitch, which they're really struggling with. And actually, some of the Evertonians I heard speaking after the game last night on the radio and on social media, they seem to think, Joel, that this is as tough a watch as it's been at Everton in terms of the style of play than it has been in ages. And that includes under Lampard. Some people are saying that this Deitch ball, if you will, is a real pain to sit through. And I wonder what your take is on that, because Sean Deitch, we knew what we were getting with him at Burnley. Are the Everton fans in a position to be able to complain about the style of play? Effectively, I'm saying, are Everton in a position where beggars can't be choosers right now in terms of the style of play? I think the three blind mice could have saw the type of football Sean Dyche was going to bring to Everton Football Club. It's it's the most obvious thing you'll ever hear in your life. Well, do you know what's funny, Joel, is some of the Evertonians I was listening to last night were actually complaining more about Everton keeping possession and trying to knock the ball sideways rather than just smashing it long. And actually, the Evertonians I heard were like, why aren't we smashing it long in the last five minutes against the Palace side who are clearly bricking it, as Marley said, you know, running it into the corner, trying to wind the clock down. You know, we're not Man City. We don't have the players to play like Man City. We've got 38-year-old Ashley Young on one wing. We've got 427-year-old Seamus Coleman on the other side. Why don't we just smash it up long? Because we've got the big physical players to cause damage like Beto and Calvert-Lewin and Onana and Ducore. So actually, the Evertonians I heard moaning about the style of play last night weren't moaning about what we'd perceive to be Deitch ball, the long lump it, smash it forward stuff that we're kind of expecting him to play. They're actually moaning more about knocking it side to side in the final 10 minutes. <laughs> well, so they want the Sean Dyche at Burnley. They want Barnes they, they and they wanted want... a bit more direct play from last night's game from what I heard. And there are some Everton fans that no doubt will completely disagree with what I've just said. But from the Evertonians that I listened to, particularly on the radio, they said that they wanted a little bit more directness last night. I think Everton fans just want to score a damn goal, to be honest. I think that's the conclusion <laughs> I'm getting from that. No matter how they play, they just want to win a game and start scoring. That's the bottom line. I think for Everton fans, I actually feel quite sorry because I feel like they're still suffering from Carlo Ancelotti syndrome. I feel like they're in a little bit of turmoil from that still, where if you look at where they were with him and where they are after him, and where Ancelotti's gone on to after them. I mean, Ancelotti's done amazing things at Real Madrid. He's got one of the best teams in the world. He's got the best talent at his disposal. He's in the biggest club in the world. And then you look at Everton, and they've gone through Frank Lampard. They've gone through Sean Dyche. They're going through a 10-point deduction. It, it, like, when it rains, it really has poured at where they are. But Ancelotti was the highest-paid manager in the Premier League when he went to Everton. And now look where Everton find themselves in terms of the finances. But I think it would have been a very different story had he stayed, though. Oh, I agree. He managed to get them their first win at Anfield in 20 years. He got them top of the league for a while. I think the first three or four months of the season, they'd lost one game and they were top of the league in that first season in lockdown, I think, under Ancelotti. So Yeah, so it's, it's almost like they've been given a free ticket in first-class Emirates and they thought this was going to be the way for life. And then they got put back into economy at the very back of the plane where all the screaming kids <laughs> are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they got shifted onto a little connecting flight back to somewhere, back to Dublin or wherever. And they've realised this is not the way it's going to go. And I do feel sorry for them because it did feel like 
they were building things. If you remember at the time, you know, they had James Rodriguez coming to join Ancelotti and that was before James Rodriguez has, you know, gone down this descending path of, I don't even know where he is now or what he's doing. But that was the time when we thought, wow, that's actually real ambition shown from Everton to get a player of that calibre. Of course, he wasn't joining for Everton though. He was joining for Ancelotti. I don't really think they give a crap about that. But I mean, regardless, he had a really good time there for I think his first six months. He was actually really impressive and then started to decline slightly. But I just think they're still in a little bit of turmoil. That's where they think they should be. But right now, the reality is that they're so, so far from that. I mean, if they go down because of this um, points deduction, what a far cry from what I've just been saying. It's literally like the polar opposite in terms of their story. And like Sean Dyche said in his press conference, he said, for the good of football, we need a verdict on this points deduction, whether it's going to remain or whether it's going to go down, because they're still in an area of uncertainty now. They could come to April time where they say, actually, we think 10 was a bit too much, but we're going to give you seven. Three points is fine margins at that stage of the season very fine margins and Luton will be looking at this with a lot of interest as well you have to feel for them because they've been dragged into this vicariously haven't they really no fault of their own well I don't know if I agree with that because if Everton hadn't been deducted 10 points they'd be like 11th or something they'd be well clear of the danger zone and actually the team that would be closest to them would be Nottingham Forest, who are four points better off. And as it happens, we don't know what's going to happen with Forest in terms of their points deductions as well. So actually Luton, the way that they see it, according to Rob Edwards, this is what he was saying pre-Manchester United, the Luton manager. He was saying that he actually sees the table with the points back on. He, the table that he looks at at the training ground, he has the points added back on. So Luton are still miles behind, really, in his mind. And that kind of gives him incentive and motivation to go and make up that ground. You know what? It's probably a good way to look at it from... I know I was really dismissive of him after the Man United game and I still kind of am. But I mean, in terms of the psychological motivation for his players, it probably is a good way to look at it because now he's looking at Palace, who are five points ahead of them. Because you can imagine if they if they kind of got comfortable in thinking, we just need to chase Everton. We've got a game in hand on Everton. Once we go ahead of them, we're out the danger zone. And then imagine that gets snatched away from them in April. That would be the biggest sucker punch in terms of their season, considering how you know relatively well it's gone. I mean, I feel like they're overachieving massively this season. Um, but yeah, I do think a decision needs to come of that quite soon. But that's the kind of process that the Premier League want to go down, isn't it? You can't really rush the process. Well, we mentioned that relegation fight will include Nottingham Forest and they're who we're going to talk about next on Football Social Daily because they seem to have turned to a rather strange strategy to enhance their chances of staying in the Premier League. They've appointed former top flight referee Mark Clattenburg to help advise them. We'll try and figure it out next on Football Social Daily. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? 
It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Final part of today's FSD. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow. That way you won't miss a new podcast. Every time a new one's released, you'll be notified. You can also join the conversation on our social media channels. Links are in the description, as is the link to the free to join Telegram group. So go and give that a click and download the app and join us there. Now we're going to talk about Nottingham Forest's decision to appoint former Premier League referee Mark Clattenberg as part of their backroom team, I guess, Marley. He'll be working with the club on an advisory basis. I guess it's to help advise the club on refereeing patterns and decisions. To be honest, the reason I'm asking you this question with so much uncertainty is because there is so much uncertainty. What do we make of this? Mark Clattenberg is working for Nottingham Forest. Bizarre. I'll tell you something. This did so well to stay out of the sea yesterday. <laughs> because it was only, it was only, you know... In fact, it was only because we were going to talk about it in more detail today that um, that I, I didn't banish him to the uh, to the bottom of the Atlantic because this is the most bizarre thing I've seen in a long time. And if I had to put money on a club making a weird decision like this, I would put every last penny I had, the house, the car, the dog, everything on Nottingham Forest being that club because I just... Do I do not get this? I do not get the point of it, because I was reading into what this what this role entails with with Mark Clattenburg, a former Premier League ref, signing for a club. It's bizarre. It's right up Clattenburg Street because he does have a bit of a a bit of an ego, and he does back himself to be a bit better than everyone else. But but also when someone's going to pay you money to you know to just give your opinion, that you, you take it. It's an easy job. Easy gig. This is a man who has the five Olympic rings tattooed on his forearm because he refereed the gold medal match at London 2012. He wasn't an athlete. He didn't compete. He didn't win a medal. He was the referee. That's harsh. That's harsh. Can you tell me who won the gold medal in the last Olympics? In uh, football? Argentina. No, you can't. You can't no, can yeah, you? Yeah. No, exactly. Just, just, no just guessing. Cares, Marley. That's why. Just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is this is mental. I, I don't understand it, right? Because what what. <laughs> What is he going to do? What is it like if Nottingham Forest get absolutely screwed over by a decision which should never have been a red card? To the best of my knowledge, Mark Clattenburg is not a time traveller. He can't go back and rectify that situation. He hasn't got contact in the game that can overturn the decision and get it replayed a la bloody Jurgen Klopp wanted to a few months back. He can't stop referees making bad decisions because that's part of the game. And I know we're trying to eradicate it. But appointing a former Premier League referee who was once considered one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world, um, 
he's not going to change that whether you're paying him 100 grand a year or 100 grand a week or whatever it's just not going to change anything so apparently the role is to um <laughs> it's bizarre it's to look at like refereeing patterns of the ref they've got at the weekend and say like you know he referees the game um on emotion you know if if it's a derby for example he lets he lets challenges go that would would be 50-50 or whatever you know he allows a bit of spite or whatever or there's other referees that just abide the rule book you know and, and be like well you've had three fouls so therefore it's a yellow card i don't care whether they're petty little fouls or whatever it's a yellow card no one no one can convince me that mark clattenberg's report on the referee at the weekend is going to stop nico dominguez flying into a 50 50 and absolutely nailing someone when the time comes and the time is on the pitch he's not going to like pull out of a challenge because he might get booked early in the game the game's the game you just go into the challenge as you would doesn't matter who the referee is because you can't change the way you play on who who referees it you can look at whatever whatever you like how many yellow cards is given what what type of things he gives handball for how much contact he allows in games if that referee changes on the on the day, no referee ever change ever referees the game. Two games the same, everything's different. There's no, I don't think there's such thing as patterns. So I think Marinakis has has just come up with an incredible new way, which I would never put past him. Incredible new way of just pissing money away. <laughs> just he loves it, whether it's Lingard on a free on eighty grand a week or Mark Clattenburg on whatever whatever money he's on. He loves wasting money. It's bizarre decision yeah i don't understand the benefit of it i really don't and actually gary neville on sky sports said that it was a step too far for nottingham forest to appoint mark clattenberg now i've got two questions off the back of gary neville's comments joel one of them is if this was any other club if it was arsenal or liverpool or manchester city let's say pep guardiola did this would it be considered genius or will it still be considered a bit strange because it's Nottingham Forest, do you think that maybe there might be a little bit more scrutiny on this decision? I think if Manchester City did it, it would be suspicious. <laughs> Can, you imagine, Can you imagine the meltdown <laughs> if City did that? My God. Let's say Brighton then. Maybe I used a bad example. Let's say Brighton instead. You know, this cutting edge Roberto De Zerbi side and he decides to bring in a referee analyst, if you will, in the form of Mark Clattenburg, do you think that the same criticism would be levelled at them if it happened to them as it is being thrown at Nottingham Forest? Potentially. I think everyone's looking at Nottingham Forest as a club, obviously under the spotlight with the points deduction potentially, and then they're thinking, what? And this is the main issue of your concern to hire a former referee to, like Marley said, I don't even know what he's going to be doing, basically telling them why the referee got it wrong every other game. I mean, they can do that for free on the punditry panel. It's not, it's not very hard to do. I think they're obviously trying to gain some kind of competitive advantage, aren't they, by understanding... For example, I know that prior to when Casemiro joined Manchester United, it was reported that he did his own scouting report on referees and their temperament and how easy they let things slide. Clearly those reports didn't quite work because he gets a yellow card every other game. <laughs> he gets booked every game he plays throughout his career. Unless there was a league with no referees, he wouldn't. He was going to struggle. Yeah, but I mean, to, to go back to your question though, 
Although I think it definitely relates to the type of club and where they're at. I mean, if it was Brighton, because we associate them with being these data pioneers and they do everything really well, we'd probably think, mm, I wonder if there's like some kind of substance with what they're doing. But I think under all of that, it's just the fact that it's Mark Clattenburg, who was once working for the Saudi League, was once working for the Egyptian FA, was once on Gladiators trying to dictate all of it. He still is. Like, I mean... Come on, it gets a bit of a circus act when you say it that way. Okay, fine. Well, we've spoken about Mark Clattenburg and Mike Dean and these referees as characters. And yes, referees are becoming household names now, but Clattenburg has actually gone on to national radio today to defend himself and the decision to appoint him at Nottingham Forest. And that forms part of my second question, because in reaction to Gary Neville's comments that this is a step too far, Clattenburg said, well, Gary Neville was a pundit for Sky Sports who regularly employ referees on their television programming to provide explanations and insight and analysis. I just think that maybe we're caught in a bit of a grey area here. I think we're maybe caught in a crossfire between Howard Webb coming in as the head of the PGMOL and saying referees need to be more transparent, we need to get our communication better, and then that being basically taken, this is a really clunky example, but that being taken in a way which means, oh, okay, let's put Mike Dean on commentary. I mean, Clattenburg's defended himself, which is fair enough. He's got the right to do that. But I just don't understand why we're seeing so much more of referees in the public eye. I don't need to see Dermot Gallagher on a Monday morning telling me why it's a red card. All I need to see is more decisions being gotten correct. That's all I need to see. Surely it should be organisations hiring these referees rather than clubs. They're the ones who can implement the rules and change the laws and clarify things. I don't understand why. Who's to say that a referee or Mark Clattenburg can't go and use his experience of being a professional referee somewhere? Like if Forrest have offered him a job, fair enough he's yeah, taken this, it. This is on Forrest. I mean, he, he, he didn't go looking for that job, did he? He just got a surprise email or phone call off, you know, big Angelos and he's gone, well, that's an easy job. Like, of course. I'll I'll come in and tell you what should and shouldn't have been a foul, but you can't like I said before, you can't change anything. If uh, Gibbs White gets sent off for a high boot at the weekend, nothing nothing Mark Clattenburg can do can change that. So the whole thing's pointless. We're always talking about consistency. And it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially on live TV coverage when uh, uh, there's a penalty decision and it goes to VAR and they'll say, right, Graham Pohl, what do you think? Is this a penalty or not? What he says is irrelevant. He's not the referee. His opinion is immaterial. It's about as relevant as go and pluck a random guy sat in row 15 of the stand. Ask him if he thinks it's a penalty. And it's like you said just before, Niall, the, the issue is they're not objective with their opinions because they don't want to dig out their mate if they think it's the wrong decision. So it's almost just, it's just obsolete. Their opinions are obsolete. Maybe I'm not seeing the bigger picture, but I just don't understand if... You know, Peter Walton says, yes, it's a penalty. So what? He's not the ref on the day. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I never played professional football, but I can tell you when someone bangs the ball in from 25 yards into the top corner, it's a good finish. <laughs> like, unless you're actually doing it or you're actually the referee, your opinion doesn't matter. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about referees in the media, let's sack off Peter Walton and Dermot Gallagher and all of that. And let's get referees mic'd up. There's no guarantee it's right either, what he says. Like it doesn't like you said, it doesn't prove that 
the ref was wrong at the weekend because Clattenburg said it on a Monday that he, he was wrong for like for example Mason Holgate smashed Kauru Matoma's thigh in pieces and the guy five yards from him Ahmed Hodzic just went I don't think that was a foul it's a stinking decision <laughs> he's he's he's, a, he's not objective is he he's he's, he's got the wrong opinion so it, it the whole thing makes no sense to me I, I'm actually surprised the Premier League even allow it. Um, but again, they're powerless to stop it because it's never been done before. So they've never thought about that that could happen. Something has to happen for them to go, oh, we're not we're not really comfortable with that. Um, but the horse is booked and that's it now. We'll probably see um, a former Premier League manager on the bench of a team soon, <laughs> looking at the video while the game's going on. And then it'll just be a, such a complete conflict of interest. I know it, the game's about fine margins and trying to find an advantage. And actually, in that respect, I kind of commend Forrest in a way for trying to find a way to gain that extra edge. There's a fine line between being innovative and idiotic. And this is the latter rather than the former, I think. I have a lot of sympathy for referees. I understand how tough a job it might be. But the whole point of referees is not to be noticed and to be kind of kept out of the spotlight. If you're not mentioned after a game, generally you've had a good game. If people were talking about decisions and you, you've generally had a bad game. Very rarely in this country do we say, referee got that one right and make a big song and dance about it. When a referee gets a decision wrong, that's when everyone's up in arms. And I think that this is a situation in which we're bringing more attention to referees, which they probably don't need right now. A referee has never gone viral for making a good decision. But every weekend, one decision in in a league from wherever goes viral for being an absolute shocker right every day of the week almost so there it is all right well mark clattenberg is working for nottingham forest now as a referee advisor you can tell what we think about that here on football social daily but what do you think let us know in the telegram group link to that is in the description go and click the link it's free to download the telegram app and come and join the chat away from the podcast you can also click the links to the social media channels but from us on football social daily today that is it we'll catch you next time speak to you then football social daily is a voice work sport production for the sport social podcast network this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.